Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill, as always, and we've got a special guest joining us on this week's show. Ohio State men's basketball coach Chris Holtman joining the show uh, to talk to us a little bit about what he's been up to this offseason and his expectations for next season. So uh, really excited to have him coming on the show this week. Yeah, you know, the fun part about recording this intro is we actually just talked to him, but um, we are right now pretending as though it's about to be a good conversation when I think in reality we're just hoping you guys will think it was a good conversation. Colin giving you a little bit of the inside baseball there, but it's true. We actually just talked to Chris Holtman before recording this intro, so we might as well get we might as well time travelers. Yeah, we we might as well get right into it. So uh, let's uh, join our interview of Chris Holtman and hear what he had to say. Excited to have Chris Holtman joining us now on Real Pod Wednesdays. Chris, first of all, just how's your family doing during this quarantine, and how much are you itching to get back on a basketball court? Well, great to be with you guys, and I um, appreciate you having me on. It's uh, and, and thanks for your for your question on that. It's it's such a you know such a different time for so many. Whether you have you know kids, you're homeschooling right now. Big shout out to all the teachers out there, by the way, and, and their their work. I think we all have appreciated their value at a higher level uh, now more than ever. But um, I, I'm really anxious to get back to. A degree of normalcy as as i'm sure we all are i think it makes us all appreciate uh the lives we have and and uh uh the the, the jobs we have H- having said that you're you know the season is always a rush um and then it, it comes to some type of a sudden end whether it's in the NCAA tournament or uh advancing in the NCAA tournament whatever the case may be uh this was just unique because um of when it ended, how abruptly it ended, and then, you know, what was require, required of all of us, you know, basically being relegated to our homes for, for the next however many weeks. Chris, when was the last time you, you picked up a basketball? Oh, man. Um, good question. I actually had one of our players come by and, <clears throat> and ask to, see if he could see if he could take one he hadn't he hadn't found a gym all of our stuff is closed uh yep. to see if he could have a have a, a, a gym so i uh, i social distanced and passed him passed him the ball um that was that was a few weeks ago um came, came to the shot here and, and did that for him but it's been uh it's been seven weeks really the last time i actually touched it was um the, the walkthrough in the hotel uh, the day of our Purdue game, walking around, you know, it was about a 45 minute to, it was actually about an hour walkthrough in a hotel ballroom. That was the last actual time we'd been with our team with the ball in hand. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's probably the longest time you've gone since you were, <laughs> I don't know, a baby since you touched the ball. But yeah, I, I imagine, no I imagine, I, I imagine you're uh, quarantined like the rest of us. So you've probably, been watching reading maybe a little bit more than than you have um i don't know than than definitely than you are able to even in the season but maybe even in past off season i just wonder you know is there is there anything that you've consumed whether it be reading watching something that that's maybe stuck with you and that's really 
pique your interest as you try to figure out what to do with, with, with all the time that we've got right now? Yeah. Oh, good question. Um, good question. So I'm going back and, and I'm going to, I'm, you know, for professional stuff, I, I professional development. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back and read some of my, you know, coaching books that have, that have impacted me the most, the most recent one is grit by Angela Duckworth. You probably have heard me talk about that. Um, it's a fantastic Mm -hmm. book that really, uh, uh, really parses the the successful versus the those that maybe have not quite uh, achieved what makes those um, that are successful uh, successful and and it's a great uh, tool for us to utilize when we are looking at um, who to recruit um, uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's kind of a great manual. It's, to, it's a, a powerful book with a lot of really informative stuff. So I'm going to go back and, and re-re- reread that. Um, uh, and then I've, you know, I, my typical routine is I, I listen to a podcast in the morning when I work out in this really poorly designed makeshift weight room in my garage. Um, that uh, is as about a bare bones as you can imagine <clears throat> with, you know, a bench and uh, a few weights and uh, a few of those, um, uh, I don't know, bands uh, that, that, that guys work out with. But I'll, I'll, I'll listen to various podcasts. And then, you know, my wife and I have, although our tastes are different, but we've we've been binge watched, you know, uh, a lot of what, America has, uh, uh, you know, throughout these last, you know, seven weeks. We know, we know Ryan Day has seen Tiger King. Have you watched that? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, you know, as what everybody said, it was, a, it was a car crash. It was a, a scene that you couldn't take your eyes off of in a lot of ways because of, I just think the bizarre nature, I kept thinking that this, could not be actual real life, and yet, yet uh, apparently it is real life because I think he's in jail right now, from what I understand. So, um, I, I did uh, I did watch that, and uh, you know I've been a fan of Ozark for for a couple years now. So, um, uh, finished that season, um, and then you know there's there's a I, I don't I. I tend to watch a lot of sports but then there's a couple series that have grabbed my attention and for me you know it's hard for me to take my mind off of work probably like a lot of people it's 24 7 you're obsessed with it you know uh to to this day we're, we're seven seven weeks removed from the season and i still i can't put in a full night's sleep i still wake up and my first thoughts are you know whatever our team how are we going to defend ball screens the post next year um i've th- those are the last two thoughts that have woken me up in the morning uh around three in the mornings but the one thing that can take my mind off for an hour is a really riveting show so that's been enjoyable when when you're um thinking about sort of maybe what you guys are going to look like next season if that's when that when that wakes you up in in the middle of the night, I wonder 
is there a specific game over the past three years that you've been at Ohio State that you know you've replayed the most in your head, whether it be a win that that you think about often, or you know a loss where you think like if if one if one or two things had gone differently, maybe maybe this one would have gone your way. Oh, I think the losses stick with you um, uh, so much more uh, as as you guys know mm-hmm. than the wins. They they just. I think that's true of a lot of coaches. When I reflect back, I I very rarely reflect back on the road win at Purdue our first year, even though that was an mm-hmm. incredible moment. And that's up there in terms of, you know, the most enjoyable and satisfying wins I've been a part of. Now, had we been able to win one more game and go to, I guess it would have been, what, 16 and two instead of 15 and three and tie for the Big Ten championship, then then perhaps that I reflect back more on that. But we obviously fell fell a game short of, of winning the Big Ten or tying for the Big Ten. But um, I, I think losses that stick with you and along those lines, uh, Penn State at home uh, that year, because that was the difference mm-hmm. between a Big Ten championship and, and not. Uh, um, and then the, the, the two home losses in January, uh, this year, um, in league play, um, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota are, are difficult ones. Uh, again, you know, I'd, I'd love to say that, Hey, I, 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 and you do reflect on the road win up at Michigan and the wins at home, the top, top 10 wins we had this year with Villanova, Kentucky and Mich and uh, Maryland and, Maybe missing one, but um, but uh, Carolina, I guess. But but really, it's those losses mm-hmm. that stick with you, and th- those are probably the two that are freshest in my memory. When you remember the the Penn State and the, I mean, have, you, have you found anyone on the recruiting trail last named Carr to, to to maybe target? Yeah, well, we we need to. We we certainly. I'm I'm open to all cars that can dribble a ball right now. Um, in our program, we'll add you if you can dribble a ball. Uh, even if you, you know, if if you're a little bit small, we'll take you. If you're as long as you're tall, you know, but taller than five seven, we'll take you. If your name's Carr, because uh, clearly that has been the Achilles heel for the Buckeyes in in our short time here. They they tend to do well at the shot. Yeah, they do. They sure do. Some big news coming from the NCAA this past week with proposed rule changes about allowing student-athletes to finally profit from their name, image, and likeness. How do you think that's going to affect college sports? And specifically, you know, what impact do you think that can have for your guys? Yeah, it's an excellent question because I do think it's going to have a dramatic impact on, on things. Although, I think we're all unclear as to exactly monetarily what it's going to look like right um there's i'm sure there's some people that have studied it better than i and have much better grasp of it than i do um but i i I do think that it is listen i think the the challenge of of sports college sports today is you, you have to evolve. And I think we can all cling to this, these things that maybe we appreciated about college sports or 
specifically about college basketball that are just different today. Does it mean it's better or worse? In some cases, people might say it's better. Some cases, a lot of cases, people say it's worse. Our game is worse because of transfers or the doing away with, with, uh, the, uh, amateurism, um, or the addition of, you know, the, the stipend a couple of years ago, all these cha- you know, people cling to this amateurism model and I get it. I understand it and I appreciate it, but, but it is a different time in so many ways. And I think given the amount of money that's generated from, uh, from college sports in particular in our sport, the NCAA tournament, and obviously we know what a profound impact college football has um, on the overall economy of, of, a, of a university and a campus. Uh, I, I think it, it, it makes sense to allow guys to allow athletes, men and women to, uh, to profit off of this. Again, I think it's going to just like the regular marketplace, it's going to be significant for some and maybe, uh, you know, somewhat insignificant for others, but that's also a lesson as to what life is going to look like in, in the marketplace beyond college. You know, I thought, I thought it was interesting when I saw, I think it was Ohio state's football staff. Um, they had a, they had a few staffers and a few assistant coaches sort of making a push in the 24 to 48 hours right after that, that recommendation came down. And, and I know that you guys, didn't really make a, a similar push uh, through social media, and I, and I do know that you know there's there's part of you too that is like wondering um, what exactly the the final ruling because you know they talked a lot about guardrails and and the and the yeah. teleconference they had and yes um, there there, there yeah. are there's a little bit of gray area still but but how how quickly are you guys going to implement changes to to use this to benefit you because like you said you know it's it's going to be up to people to to change quickly and, and stay with the times and in, in some yeah way. yeah and I, I, re- I, I saw that too and, and applaud those guys for for doing that we had actually conversations we, we knew it was coming so we actually had conversations mm-hmm. with with uh, recruits and their families leading up to it uh, just that was kind of our we, we wanted to have you know, kind of some specific conversations about what potentially it could look like in appropriate situations. Um, and again, cause I think it's, it's different. Um, uh, and it, and, it, and it'll be different from sports, right? It just will. Um, um, that's, that's the reality, but yeah, we, we, we have, uh, had conversations about the benefit of being in Columbus, the benefit of being in a place like Ohio state, as it relates to name, image, and likeness uh, with our recruits. Um, and mm-hmm. we've, been, we've tried to be proactive about it because we know that this is, this is going to happen. So we behind the scenes, and that's how we you know, typically do a lot of things behind the scenes. We've uh, begun to look at presentations uh, that we're going to put together for recruits. We already have some right now involving the specifics of a stipend, the, the actual dollar figures that are provided for recruits. Uh, we have a really uh, powerful presentation that, that kind of spells it out. And then we obviously have, uh, I think, a really powerful presentation that talks about the value of being in a bigger city, the 14th largest city in the country, and the industry and commerce that is uh, uh, available here for students 
for student athletes that that uh, want to take advantage of that. Uh, so we're now uh, in the process of putting some things together uh, that will be sp- as specific as you can be with still some uncertainty about name, image, and likeness. Uh, but we are going to put some specifics about you know the selling points of being in Columbus and being at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. The Big Ten also announced yesterday that it started a mental health and wellness cabinet uh, to address mental health issues at a conference-wide level. You obviously had a, a, a public situation to deal with last year with DJ Carton, but you know, there's obviously a lot of mental health situations that take place behind the scenes as well. How beneficial, how important do you think that is that the Big Ten is taking this issue on in putting such an emphasis on ensuring that student athletes have access to mental health resources? You know, I think it's a great move. Uh, I applaud the Big Ten Conference for doing this and spearheading it and um, and being proactive about it. It is a significant, as, as the both of you know, it is a significant issue for people uh, in the age group that we work with in college it mm-hmm. is real it's significant it's challenging and 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 honestly young people in general and it's it's a challenge for everybody the idea of mental health and staying as healthy as possible uh in the, in those areas it's a challenge and i think it 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 is a it is a way i, I really believe that here at ohio state we have a fantastic department uh, that is in program that is set up to support young men and young women, young athletes uh, uh, in their quest to, to be healthy mentally. Um, uh, so I, 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 I applaud it. I think it's a great initiative. Um, and you're right. Uh, I saw, I've seen it firsthand the last couple of years, uh, really the last three to five years. We've had more instances uh, the one with DJ was just was, was so public, but uh, trust me, there have been a number that have not been public uh, to protect the student athlete. I give DJ a lot of credit for the courage he showed and that he wanted to speak openly about it. Um, and I give him a lot of credit for that. But uh, there's an, it, it affects a number of athletes and every year. And uh I think it's it's only an area that we need to continue to bolster and, and grow in our understanding and how we as coaches, uh, and I know Ryan's taken a charge in this as well, um, you know, it's really important for us to be equipped to, to, to help our athletes in the area of mental health. Yeah, it's a tough issue. It's a tough issue all around, but like you said, it's, it is so important these days, especially. Um, to do the impossible to transition from mental health to, to the basketball court for a second. I, I do want to talk a little bit about next season because I, I think the general thought about you guys is I think that there's a lot of people who just don't quite know what to expect because sure. you have a graduation of Andre West and you have a couple of professionalizations with Caleb and Alonzo Gaffney and you got two transfers as well and DJ Carden and Luke yeah. Muhammad and then you bring in two grad transfers, two freshmen and then Justice Suing who sat out last year. So I, I just wondered in, internally, how, how much of a handle do you feel like you have on, on what to expect out of yourselves 
versus, you know, you do have a lot of transition. And, and until you guys get together on a court, there, there, there might still be a, a some a sort of a thought of, you know, I, I don't quite know what, what to expect. So, yeah. so where, I know a lot of people outside the program don't not, don't quite know what to expect, but, but where are you on that? And I get that. I, I, I understand that. I think anytime you have um, your best player that, that it, um, you know, declares for the NBA and is going to, uh, to, 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 to move on, uh, you know, you're super excited about that, uh, for, for him, but it's also obviously leaves a void. You, you, you lose a senior who was very impactful mm-hmm. in Andre Wesson. And, and you guys know that. And the people who watched us know that Andre helped us win a good amount of games here. Like he was a really significant part of 66 wins in his last three years. So uh, I get that. And then, and then obviously, um, you know, Luther had an impact as well. Um, and, and, you know, we had transitioned more towards uh, a couple guards that were more of an impact offensively, Dwayne and CJ, uh, but Luther had an impact defensively for sure. Um, I, I think the, the, the challenge is we are going to have some new uh, faces and some guys that are here that now have to take a significant jump forward. And we've seen guys be able to do that, right? We've seen Dwayne take a jump forward. We saw, you know, from one year to the next, we saw obviously C.J. Walker's growth and improvement. We saw E.J. EJ Liddell take an enormous step uh, in the last, you know, 10 to 15 games. Listen, that there's no question that that though that are returning guys, and I include Justice and Kyle Young and in, into that mix, as well as Justin and Musa and Ibrahim. I include all those guys. Like those guys have got to take a step forward in a significant way, and then our, you know, our best players have to have to have to be that for us. You know, a guy like EJ Liddell has got to take a a. a and a really important step for us. There's no question uh, about that. Uh, if we're going to have a good season, that's very important. Our guards have to continue to grow and take that next step. It, it hurts teams, for sure, like us, that, that have a number of new faces um, that we're trying to implement. It does hurt not having a summer to, to work together if, in fact, we don't have a summer, right? That's just that, that's normal. But I would tell you, I just, I'm really excited about our two freshmen uh, coming in. I think there are going to be guys that can, can uh, hopefully grow and, and develop and help us. And uh, they're, they're, they're great young men. Um, I think they have real upside as players. They're not, you know, necessarily guys that you know it's it's not like we've got you know greg Oden and mike Connolly coming in but we've we've got two guys that are very good players who will i think can grow and develop into really impactful players for us um and uh i just i feel really strongly about those two i feel really strongly about our core coming back and then obviously we've added some important transfers uh all of which i believe i can talk about now and uh, Seth Towns and Abel Porter uh, that are going to help us right away, uh, and then one one sit out player. So um, it's a unique blend of of new guys 
I think sometimes with the number of new guys we've had, and obviously you mentioned those two transfers, um, it, it, it and then Caleb leaving, you think, oh, we've got a brand new team. But in reality, we have a lot of guys returning. It's just the reality is without Caleb and Andre, those guys have to assume significant new roles. And that's, that's the reality. But I, I know they're capable of it, and I'm excited about it. I think Justice Suing and, and Seth Towns are two guys that a lot of people are excited about and expect them to make a big impact for the team next season. How do you feel like those two guys complement each other and the rest of the team? Well, you said it right there. I We would not have – so we had Justice, right? We had him in our program for a year. We were able to evaluate him last year. He's got real strengths can really get to the pain. He's a good athlete, uh, terrific at getting to the free throw line. He's been an inconsistent shooter, but I'm hoping that's something he can improve on and will need to improve on. And then he's got great anticipation skills as a defender, but he has to become a better overall defender. But great frame, great body, good athlete, um, strong wing, terrific ball skills, uh, and yet he and Seth really complement each other very well. What does Seth do exceptionally well? Seth um, uh, has got to understand he's taking a jump in levels, which he does, uh, which I think he does understand. But he's got great touch from the perimeter, can really shoot the ball, gives us spacing. So when we uh, were recruiting Seth, and, and you guys know, we, we knew Seth was available for a while, and I went out and met with him. Uh, in season, uh, we we said, "Hey, does it does it fit? Does it really fit?" And we felt like knowing who we had with EJ and Justice, uh, so we felt like Seth was was really important in what he could bring. Now he's got to get healthy, and I think probably to Colin's point, or his question earlier, that's also some of the you know, concern, question, are our guys going to be healthy? Justice was out with a relatively minor injury, but out with a foot injury. Moose is returning from a foot injury, and then obviously Seth had a significant injury, and we know Kyle has had some. some so what's our health issue going to be next year? Provided we get healthy, I think the, those, those pieces really fit. We just have to do a good job as coaches of bringing them together. We we got some questions as well from readers. I thought I lost uh, you there for a minute. Yeah, no, I I I was waiting for Colin to jump in, uh, okay. but we got we got some questions from from readers that uh, wanted to ask you as well. Uh, sure. The, the first the first one being, uh, what change has been imp- implemented due to COVID that you plan to use going forward? What change? Interesting. Um. I, I think we're still working through that. Um, um, I, I don't know that COVID specifically has changed how we um, do things right now, but I think as we go back, um, I'm not sure if that's what the question is asking or not, but I do think that uh, uh, there will be significant changes to how we do things on a day-to-day basis in our job as basketball coaches. For example, if we have our kids here this summer, I don't. I doubt. I doubt we'll even work. We may not even work out as an entire team. It may be in smaller groups. I'm, I'm just 
thinking through some things right now. But I think we're still in the process of figuring out uh, what what changes uh, we'll make with our daily job and routine with COVID. Silver Sniper, another one of our readers, asked us about how much has coaching in the Big Ten impacted your coaching style, strategy, or philosophy, and in what ways? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I, I will tell you guys that when you have Tom Izzo and Mark Turgeon tell you in the last month of the season, right before they're about to shake your hands and try to kick your kick your rear end, that this is the best league they've ever been part of, the best they've ever seen the Big Ten from top to bottom, you know, you tend to take that for what it is, which is a really strong statement. Matt Painter said the same thing. So you have the guys that have been in this league the longest who've said it's the deepest and best the league has ever been. So to, to, to your listener's question, uh, I think it certainly uh, forced me to be uh, a better coach. Uh, I think it certainly forced me to be, when you're competing against the very best in the country, and that's what our league has been. Just look at the numbers. Um, you know, that's what I said the other day about uh, you know our team this year. I said, listen, we all want to end the season saying we were all going to get to a Final Four and a Elite Eight and you know win the national championship. And these, and we all know the NCAA tournament is somewhat um, it's somewhat of a guessing game. But look at the numbers. And for us, my point was the numbers. We were one of six teams to finish in the top twenty. Uh, in offensive and defensive efficiency, one of six teams, if you go back and you track that, that gives you a pretty good indication that you're going to have a great chance to advance um, uh, at least to the second weekend. But with, with this league, look at the numbers from top to bottom. It was the best, deepest basketball league in the country, college basketball. So I think it's made us better as a group, better better coaches. You have to be able to coach in this league or you can't you can't survive. You obviously have to be able to recruit as well. It's a very physical league as well. There's no question. When we play other leagues, we notice there's a difference between the way this league is played and, and officiated for sure. Are there things that you've learned from these first three years that you think will help going forward in terms of being able to navigate how tough that Big Ten schedule is? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're trying to look every year. You know, our first year, it's interesting. Our first year, we took off in January, right? You guys, you guys remember that? Like, that was when we hit our stride was January. We got rolling at that point. Um, the last two years, we struggled in January. So you look back and you say, what can I do better as a coach? What can we do better as a coaching staff? And I think maybe the grind has gotten to us. Maybe I, uh, maybe in December, uh, I need to look at our practice habits. That's one specific example, ways that we can prepare for the grind of the Big Ten uh, better because it is a trip. Like, you just don't have easy nights in this league. You don't have easy nights. And people don't understand that, um, that haven't that haven't went through it. They just, they don't understand it. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous league. Another question we got from a listener was, if you had a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, which of your current players would you trust the most to come change the tire for you? 
<laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> oh man, that's a great question. Uh, I can think of about 11 I would not trust. <laughs> um, um, and, and I would include myself in that group of people in our program that I would not trust to change a tire, actually, um, uh, to help change a tire. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Kyle Young. He just, you know, he strikes me as a guy that can really change a tire. That that's probably who I would have guessed that your answer would be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. We're also asked, "What's your favorite movie, show, or book?" Oh, so I'll give you all three. How about that? I'll give you all three. Um, I'll pro- yeah, I'll give you all three. It's hard to, you know, like anything. It's I only have one child, but if you have multiple kids, it's hard to name your favorite kid, hard to name your favorite movie. But I, I will say as of now, A Few Good Men probably is my favorite favorite movie. Um, uh, Rocky would be up there, but A Few, a few Good Men probably. Um, a favorite show of all time. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite show of all time. I would say probably right now. Um, succession would be up there. Um, although there's, there's, there's a lot that I, that, that I enjoy. Um, I mean, I, you know, growing up, it was probably, you know, I watched the Cosby show. I watched uh, cheers. Those were two of my favorites. I didn't get as much into Seinfeld as maybe some of my friends or, or the office, but, uh, um, and then what was the other one? Uh, book. Favorite book. Um, yeah, favorite book. Pro- probably Man's Search for Meaning. And it's a little bit heavy, but um, pro- probably that had, has had the most profound impact on me. Can y'all, can y'all hear me right now? I, we can. Yeah, oh, this is this is good. I, I, I got bumped off for like 10 minutes there, but... Oh, I, wow. I could hear just really? not talk. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, I, I thought I was interrupting you, Dan, for a sec. But um, I, I wanted to ask um, a, a couple rapid fires because I, I think that, you know, they're just – none of them sure. are, are actually that uh, that important. But I, but I figured they, they might be entertaining. So, I, sure. so one, if, if you could add any player in the history of Ohio State basketball to, to net season's roster, who, who would it be? Oh, man. Oh, um, a lot of them. Yeah. Any player. Um, can I go, I can I go with, can I go with the tie Odin and Sollinger? Very reasonable. Very reasonable. I thought Odin might be the pick. Yeah. Odin and Sollinger. I don't, I'd have to, I'd have to, if the, yeah, Odin and Sollinger probably that hard to pick between those two. Are you pro or anti alternate jerseys? I'm pro. I am pro alternate jersey. I understand uh, the the uh, trepidation by some, but uh, uh, I think uh, it's what it's what our players like and enjoy, and that's one thing I'm not not necessarily interested in fighting them on. So, um, you know, if they like it, I'll support them. I think Urban Meyer had a quote a couple weeks ago where he said, you know, I, I, I like tradition, but the only thing I like better than tradition is getting a good recruit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
and that matters. That matters, <laughs> good or bad, whether we like it or not. Listen, that matters. And I know there's been somewhat controversy, I guess, about what black jerseys for football and black uniforms for football and, and, and basketball. But uh, uh, that is, trust me, that guys love that. Current players and recruits love that. What's your favorite place to, to go to breakfast and to go to dinner in Columbus? Oh, um, so if I'm going to go to breakfast, um, I go to pro- right now, probably I would go to, um, let me think probably the pancake house. Um, either that or let me see, I just forgot the name of the place that I go uh, a lot. Um, um, yeah, pro- probably right now. Probably easy, good one. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. Um, and dinners. Um, oh, there's uh, what's the Mexican place that uh, I really enjoy? That's got several stops here in uh, one in Clintonville. Um, you guys probably know the name of it. I know this isn't rapid fire. El Vicaro? No. Um, great tacos, great little. Uh, anyway, I just forgot the name of it. I- I'm sorry. Condado, but, maybe? Um, no, I-, I do like Condado, uh, but it's it's right down the street, actually, from Condado. Um, oh, I- anyway. We'll look up the Mexican up place in Clintonville. There you go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> If if you were to play basketball, all fourteen Big Ten coaches in a one on one round robin tournament, what place are you getting? Uh, Juwan has changed the game when it comes to that for sure. He's bumped me down a spot uh, for sure, and uh, there's no question about that. Uh, Turgeon uh, played, I believe, at a high level Division One. I. I guess he was a good player. Um, I think our game would be really competitive, but uh, my guess is that he's 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 got uh, probably some skills, albeit we're all diminished skills. But he he would probably get me. Uh, Archie's a little younger than me. I saw him play. Uh, I'll give him the edge. Uh, Pico, I guess, was a good player, uh, from what I understand as well. Izzo, like myself, either played small college or was. Uh, I believe, uh, yeah, I believe he played small college. Might have played Division three, although my college I think was better than his for sure. Would 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 beaten their 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 team. Um, so maybe I'll give myself the slight edge, but I'm near the bottom for sure. I'm I'm near the bottom for sure. I'm not sure. I know I think Pepino can play a little bit too. I'm sure I'm missing a number of guys, but um, but. Uh, yeah, Jawan, I think, has dropped us all at least one spot when it comes to that question. I'll be honest. I'm, after after earlier this season, I'm a little surprised that you just conceded uh, conceded the Maryland Mark Turgeon game there. <laughs> well, Mark, Mark and I Mark and I had a post conversation postseason conversation where we, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ha- hashed some things out, but. Uh, you know how you know how the season tends to dr- to to drudge some of that back up and in in January, but uh, he's he's a good man. 
Let me, the, the final question, I think a lot of people are always interested in this and, it, and it's scheduling because, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who really want you guys to play other Ohio teams. There's a lot of people who are interested in you guys playing early season tournaments. Um, I think there are a lot of opinions on, on what you guys should do. I'm just wondering what, where are you guys on, on scheduling other Ohio schools for games, whether it be home and home or not. And do you imagine that you'll have any on net season schedule or is that for something that, you know, you'll do down the line, maybe local cantina, by the way, it just came to me. There you go. <laughs> um, that is a good one. Yeah. Colin, I listen, I don't know. You know, I think we've proven with our actions, right. That, we will play teams, we'll play good teams, we'll play uh, good teams in the state. Uh, Gene Smith, when when he hired me, talked about us playing Cincinnati, and he didn't force me to do it. Um, it certainly wasn't a contingency upon my hiring that I had to play Cincinnati, but we did it, and it worked out really well for us, honestly, and, and uh, we're two competitive, highly entertaining games. Um, I, if, if you're asking about mid majors in the state, um, then we're, you know, we're playing Akron this year. We played Kent last year. We played Youngstown state. We're open to do, to, to, to doing that. And we, we intend to do that every year. We intend to also do an exhibition versus an in-state, um, non D one. Uh, so that's always mm-hmm. been in the plan. Um, uh, If you're asking about schools like Dayton and Xavier, which I'm guessing you or our fans or other teams' fans may be asking about, then then, uh, absolutely we we would consider that. Here's just my criteria when it comes to scheduling in the non-conference. Because right, it's 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 not going to be just a, and they would it's not just going to be a goodwill gesture, right? This has to be beneficial for both programs. And Dayton had a tremendous year this year, tremendous. And obviously that program has had uh, tremendous success. As a matter of fact, maybe the last time we played them was the tournament game. Uh, when Is that right? Uh, would that have been right? Maybe the last time we played them that they beat us in the, in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think so. Um, so. Um, so they've had a tremendous team, really good program, um, uh, as has Xavier. The biggest thing for us is is scheduling projected NCAA tournament teams in the non-conference that are part of your kind of home and home high major. I just don't have interest in scheduling uh, a lot of t- in, in in both those teams. Typically, are right. I know you could do. There's some variance in every everybody's schedule. But really, that's a major criteria for me is are those teams, if we're going to play in a home and home, then are those teams projected to be an NCAA tournament team? Because why else would you play them? You, you need to build a non-conference schedule that uh, gives you a chance to either get to the NCAA tournament or hopefully get a good seed. And the only way you do that nowadays, they, they've proven it, the only way you do that nowadays is by scheduling other NCAA tournament teams. You actually get penalized if you don't. So that's a big, really big criteria. It's why the one Cincinnati made sense, right? Because they had been to the tournament. 
what, 13 out of 14 straight years or something. Mm -hmm. So if people are wondering, Coach, what's your thinking behind that, well, there it is. That makes sense. What, one, one more thing, since I mentioned it real quick, early season tournaments, I know you have Battle for Atlantis this year. Fingers crossed it happens. Um, I, I remember you mentioned a while back that you have a tentative agreement with Maui for the Maui Invitational. Um, yes. Is that something you plan to do every single year? Yes. We have another one mm-hmm. in between Maui and the, the Battle for Atlantis this year, as you mentioned, fingers crossed. Who knows what that will look like. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Fingers crossed with a lot of things, right? Beginning with with uh, football yeah. and fall sports getting started here. Um, let's hope and hope and pray for for that. Um, uh, but yeah, battle for Atlantis. Then we have another one in between that I can't talk about yet. But it'll be another a good tournament. I believe that one we may only play two games in that one, uh, guys. Mm-hmm. And then you know Maui the following year. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you uh, being so generous with your time with us today. Is there anything else that we didn't ask you that we should have? (laughs) Oh, um, yeah, that, that, uh, that's a wide open question. No, no, I, you know, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you guys reaching out. I appreciate, I really do appreciate our, our, our fans. And, um, you know, I know that, uh, uh, everybody's going through some difficult things right now. I, I appreciate our fans and the support that, that our fans were this year. We had an incredible run. I think four of our last six games were sellouts, uh, which in a place as big as the shot, you know, is, can be hard. But I, I do appreciate our fans, the people that listen. Uh, I know they were frustrated uh, in January. I told somebody the other day, my wife didn't even like me in January, so I can understand if, if our fans didn't like me in January. But I love the fact that we were able to uh, turn it around and um, wish that we could have seen what this group would have finished, but really appreciate their support. Excited about moving forward. Can't wait to get our guys here and and enjoy the time today. Yeah. Thanks again for taking the time with us and, you know, hope you and everyone in your family stay safe and, you know, let's hope that uh, this fall we're, we're watching Ohio state basketball and Ohio state football again. I'm right there with you guys. Hopefully. And once again, we thank Chris Holtman for joining us on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. A really interesting conversation with the Ohio State men's basketball coach. Colin, you're, you're our basketball guy. What, what were the most interesting things you took away from that conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm thankful that he gave us so much of his time because, you know, there was a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I know we're going to talk a lot about the name, image, likeness stuff, so we can probably... Um, push that back and, and talk about that a little bit later. But I, I did think um, the, the scheduling part, I think that people will think that that was interesting because, you know, it is true that the past few years they, they scheduled pretty well. Um, even last year, you, if I remember um, in the, in the, in the months leading up to the season, Chris Holman was talking about how that will be, how that would have been Ohio state's best non-conference schedule since he had been there and the best non-conference schedule that he had ever um, coached against. And then of course things in the non-conference schedule went, extremely well for Ohio State and and they ride in the conference schedule high but you know I I do think that given his comments and given what he said in the past like I I expect that to be somewhat of a normal thing as as, at least as much as you can make it yeah no absolutely I I thought you know the fact that he said you know outright he said that you know we only want to schedule 
you know, these home and home non conference games against teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, certainly that's something that's you know he's thinking about very cognizantly in terms of you know setting schedules for for future years. And and honestly, as as somebody who mostly follows football, it's kind of refreshing because I, I think in football now you, you're almost trying to game the system and you're trying to uh, make your schedule easy so that you have the path. To, of least resistance to the college football playoff. So it, it's kind of refreshing that in basketball you have to take the opposite approach and you've got to try to beef up that schedule knowing that's such a big part of the process on Selection Sunday. Yeah, and it's beneficial to everybody. I mean, there's no fan in the world who's going to complain about the fact that Ohio State you know, played North Carolina or Villanova or West Virginia or Cincinnati the past few years. Like, those are objectively good fun games to to pay attention to and watch and and i'll be honest like even at that time of the year you know football is king in in columbus and you do sort of need those those big games at least for for ohio state to to stand out and i think that they've done a good job of trying to make themselves relevant then too which i think matters um as well really appreciate chris joining the show appreciate you guys uh, sending in your questions, I think I think I think Little Trouty wins for the uh, the question that made Chris Holtman laugh, asking about uh, if he got a flat tire. And I and I have to say, I that his answer was exactly what I would have expected, yes. of Kyle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think Kyle would have been my guess. And and like you said, I think yesterday when you saw the question, you said I you said you thought it would be between C.J. Walker and Kyle Young. And I'll be honest. Those are the two guys I was I was expecting him to pick as well. For the record, he would not want to trust me with a flat tire either. I actually got one on my car last week at my apartment and called someone to change it for me. So uh, I would not be the guy to fix a flat tire for him either. I don't know about you, Colin. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll emasculate myself too and say that I, I can't change a flat tire too, even though I think uh, if my dad listens to this, he might be a little disappointed. My dad would also be disappointed, but there's there's a reason why we talk about sports instead of playing them, right? <laughs> That's you know you make a strong point there. We did ask Chris Holtman about his thoughts on name, image, and likeness, and we wanted to have a little more of a conversation about that now because uh, certainly that being the biggest news of the past week in college sports, and, and one that is going to be a drastic change for college sports. One that, you know, truthfully, I, I think, you know, at least I wondered if we were ever actually going to get to this point because it's it seemed like such a long time coming for student athletes to have a way to to make money and to be able to profit off their name and name image and likeness. That's a bit of a tongue twister, but it's finally happening. The NCAA proposed rule changes last week that are going to allow student athletes opportunities to profit off their name, image, and likeness. It, it won't be officially voted on until January 2021, but you know, talking to Gene Smith, talking to other leaders around the NCAA, there's a clear expectation that this is going to happen. This is going to pass. There's still a lot of different specifics and rules that need to be hashed out, but this is something that everyone expects to happen at this point. And it's certainly, you know, as, as Chris Holtman said, this is going to be a big change for everybody and, and something that everybody now has to adapt to. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's it's such a gigantic change 
that it makes sense that you know people have so many questions about about how this will work about so many different things i'll be honest like i think that there's a lot of it that's you know you still don't totally know how it'll play out i think that when when we were on the the hour-long teleconference with michael drake gene smith mark emmert and um I think that the the word guardrails was used about four thousand times because you know there are these things that that they're going to put in place where you know they're they're able to do certain things they're not able to do certain things and while they have the sort of the structure of what it might look like I do think that there are some drastic changes um, that could be made between now and, and January when they have the vote on it of maybe how exactly it gets implemented what is specifically allowed what specifically isn't allowed I do think though generally even when you consider all that gray area, you know, this is going to be a massive change. This is going to change. Um, I don't know if this is going to change the landscape of sports and that all of a sudden you're going to have schools that never competed before all of a sudden are, are title contenders. I don't necessarily think it's going to be like that. But just the fact that, that student athletes are, are able to, college athletes are able to make money off their name, image, likeness is going to, is going to change basically every aspect of how of how the sport operates at least in, to, in in some degree from recruiting to roster management to to, to all different types of um, all different types of things uh, beyond just football and, and men's basketball which of course is, is what we generally cover so so is it's what the it's what our conversation is going to um, touch on most yeah guardrails was definitely the NCA buzzword of the day last Wednesday and if yep. you want to ask us exactly what that means uh, the answer is we really don't know it's uh, that's what the NCA likes to do they like to uh, they like to keep things purposely vague until uh, it's time to actually release these things but I, I thought Colin wrote a really good piece last week for 11 warriors uh, kind of a what what to know about this and kind of breaking down uh you know what is going to be allowed to happen what isn't so uh if you haven't read that and you want to learn more about this definitely go read that i think it's a good primer for kind of what to expect here but uh you know just the basics of it you know student athletes they are going to be allowed to sign endorsement deals now they are going to be able to do advertisements they'll be able to uh, market products on their social media uh, they can create, you know, digital content, you know, YouTube, whatever. You know, they'll be able to, you know, have personal businesses. Uh, they'll be able to do autograph signings. They'll be able to get paid uh, for personal appearances. So, the big thing that's still not allowed to happen is schools cannot directly pay athletes, uh, and they, they cannot, uh, they cannot instruct boosters to go uh, pay money to players. It, it they're there's supposed to be at least a clear delineation here between paying student athletes for their performance on the field and in this case now paying student athletes to promote a product or to provide a service. The, I think the this challenge is where, Yeah, I was gonna say I think this is now where we the get NCAA. into the Yeah, you go ahead. I, I was gonna say I think this is where we get into the good luck portion of of, of the debate because you know I I, I can see obviously that the way that the NCAA views this is they don't want Ohio State offering fifty thousand dollars to Travion Henderson and saying hey if you if you come to Ohio State we're gonna set you up with this booster he's gonna pay you fifty thousand dollars to do some autographs they don't want that to happen the tough thing is you know everybody's gonna promote 
that you know if you come to this school there's going to be all these opportunities yet the NCAA also wants to have uh, uh, something between that promotion and the schools actually setting them up with with boosters and other businesses that's where everything just gets super complex yeah I thought it was quite a juxtaposition between listening to a teleconference where they're talking about uh, you know, we don't want recruiting inducements. We want to keep this out of recruiting. And then it might have been before the teleconference was even over. Mark Pantone and several members of Ohio State staff are, are tweeting about how great Columbus is and the opportunities with student athletes. I mean, some of them, some of them were actually directly quote tweeting a tweet about the new NCAA rule changes to promote the brand of Ohio State. So. There's absolutely no chance this isn't going to seep into recruiting. There's absolutely no chance of that. The, the, the goal is for the NCAA is to you know try to prevent arrangements where a guy is is getting paid to do something, but it's really just being paid to attend Ohio State disguised as, as something else. And, and that's going to be a tough thing to regulate. It, it, it is. And, and, you know, the other thing that's tough about it is, you know, some of these things, you just don't know exactly what the market value is. You know, you might be able to determine what the market value is for selling an autograph, but what's the market value for, you know, posting on Instagram promoting a product? You know, what's, what's the market value of, you know, getting getting paid to, you know, appear in a YouTube video. You know, there, there's so many different variables here. The NCAA's got a lot of work ahead of it over the next eight months. But I think, you know, even just from reading people who have followed this closer than I and are, are more in tune on just how the NCAA works than I is that the NCAA is going to try to regulate this. They're going to try to still have this illusion of power over this, but some of this is going to be out of the NCAA's hands. I mean, the reality is, as much as they want to spin it as we decided we're going to do this great thing for student-athletes, they're being forced into this by Mm -hmm. state laws right now. Now, they want Congress to come in and create a federal law that supersedes those state laws so that it's easier for there to be uniform rules for athletes in all 50 states. But still, depending on what those federal laws are, the NCA might not be able to enforce all these things that it wants to enforce. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple years in, in terms of you know whether the NCA actually is able to really regulate this stuff or if it just becomes open season. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, the NCAA, it, it is funny. It, it's the juxtaposition between us talking about what this means and us being on a call with uh, Mark Emmert and, and other NCAA leaders who are, who are posing what, what, they, what they believe this to mean and what they want people to think this means. Because, you know, if in their words, it, it makes it seem like they came to this realization that, that this is great for, for college athlete, athletics. But like you said... It's not really exactly what what the NCAA is doing here. They're they're reacting to what is happening, and and they understand that if they don't react, then all of a sudden there's going to be a state like California or something that has certain laws that 
players can make money on on certain things, and Ohio has a completely different one, and that's the NCAA can't really operate in a world where where that is the case. At least that's what it believes. Um, I think it's interesting to to think about it from Ohio State's perspective, um, because you know when I when I sort of just step back and, and thought about this and and thought you know is this going to help Ohio State? Is this going to hurt Ohio State? Is this going to be just a net neutral for Ohio State? It's hard for me to even create an argument about how this hurts Ohio State. Specifically, if we're just going to talk about this, I think talking about football specifically um, it makes sense. It's just hard for me to think about how this could possibly hurt Ohio State. I, I, I really do think that this is probably quite quite possibly a net positive for them, just because you know this is a this is a gigantic program in a big city where you have two other professional teams, but it's not like it's not like you're competing with the Boston Red Sox and and the and the, I don't know the Cleveland Browns. If you were in Cleveland, that that would certainly be tougher. Um, this is you're competing against an MLS team and an NHL team, and you're the biggest show in town. And you have that combined with you have a gigantic alumni base. You have a rabid fan base which supports Ohio State to such a great degree um, that I just think generally there's going to be a lot of money out there to be made by players. Yeah, I think this is absolutely a positive for Ohio State, not and not that, especially for football. Not that they really need any help on the recruiting trail right now, but uh, I, th- I think this absolutely benefits Ohio State because of all those reasons that you just mentioned. Because there's not there's not really any other school that can exactly match what Ohio State can offer in terms of the size of the market they're in, while also being the biggest brand in that market. There's mm-hmm. there's schools that are in bigger cities, but where those schools are afterthoughts compared to professional sports. Maybe maybe there's, University of Texas is the closest comparison. But yes, like that, if, that's a good one. But that that legitimately might be the only one that, that comes to mind, um, at least off the top of my head right now. Now, with that being said, I, I, I do think you know, it's important for us to look outside the bubble of Columbus, and I and I and I think even schools in smaller locales, this can still be huge. I mean, mm-hmm. I can absolutely see in across the entire state of Alabama, yeah. there being tons of opportunities for Alabama players. I used to cover Clemson. I can absolutely see in upstate South Carolina there being plenty of opportunities for Clemson players. Uh, certainly Louisiana, uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for LSU players down there. So uh, Oklahoma would be another big one, I think. There's going to be tons of opportunities in that state uh, for Oklahoma players. So, I mean, I, I think the big programs, I, I, I do think this is probably going to, by and large, be a rich-get-richer case in which you know the biggest programs, the one with the biggest fan bases, are going to be the ones that are going to benefit the most from this because you know if if you know for example let's say you're a Rutgers in the New York New Jersey market you know you're you're just not one of the bigger brands in in town you know I I grew up in Massachusetts a Boston college I don't know how much is going to help a Boston college cuz people care about the Patriots and the Red Sox and the Celtics and the Bruins there unless you went to Boston college you probably don't care that much about Boston College if you grew up in Massachusetts. So uh, I, I think you know the, the bigger your brand is, the bigger your local fan base is, the more opportunities you're going to have. And and I and I think too, I think 
you know, one thing that's probably not being talked about a lot, but I think too, you know, especially for Ohio State guys is, you know, I think everybody thinks about, you know, the opportunities that Justin Fields is going to have and the upper, or it won't be Justin Fields because he's, he's going to be in the NFL by the time this these rules actually go into place. But whoever the next quarterback is, C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller, we, we know that guy's going to have big opportunities. But I, I think other guys that are going to have opportunities are, I look at a guy like a Cade Stover uh, from Lexington, Ohio, about uh, an hour north of Columbus. Maybe he's not getting you know TV deals in Columbus, but he might get you know advertisements for small businesses back in his hometown because there's a lot of Ohio State fans in his hometown, and he's going to be a big name in his hometown from his his high school days. And I think you know for in-state guys in particular, I, I think that could be a big market as well in, in terms of guys you know having that popularity in their hometown. Of course, Ohio State has a lot of out-of-state guys, so that might not necessarily apply to them. But you know, I, I just think playing for a team like Ohio State, you know, there's going to be a lot of different opportunities out there. Some of them are going to be bigger than others. I mean, they're not. Not every player is going to get a TV deal. Not every player is going to make thousands of dollars off of this. But I think just by playing for Ohio State, everybody's going to have some opportunities out of this. Yeah, I think that I think that's definitely the case, and you know, I, I think it's important to sort of say as well that this isn't a this isn't a situation where every player is going to be ranked on on how good they are, and then they're going to be paid accordingly. A lot of this is based off of popularity, and this is based off of social presence, and this is like when I think about about maybe the twenty uh, uh, the the what is it the twenty eighteen nineteen basketball team. Like, I think about someone like Joey Lane. Would Joey Lane have been the highest grossing player on the team? Yes. And I I really do think that it, I I really do think that's possible because you have someone who clearly connects with the fan base in a way that a lot of players just don't or can't. Um, And even though he was a a walk-on who just didn't play much, you heard the cheers on, on senior day. I think he had more cheers than Greg Oden. Um, when they when they graduate together, and um, you know he's someone who he's on cameo right now. He's making he he costs ten dollars for Joey Lane to make you a video. If he had been doing that during his Ohio State career, he could have made quite a few dollars. I'm sure when 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 you think about Joey Lane and the towel, there has to have been a towel company somewhere in the world that would have had Joey Lane on there, or Joey Lane would have sold towels himself. Like I, there, there are just so many different ways that people can and will figure out how to make money that I do think it's hard for us to sort of sit back and analyze. All right, well, this is clearly going to happen because I think that there are going to be a lot of things that are like, wait, you can do this and you can make money. I didn't really realize that. Oh, you can do this and you can make a ton of money. I didn't, I didn't totally realize that. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that. You know, I mean, I might have even misrepresented it just talking about it a few minutes ago, but I think the biggest thing to realize here is that for the majority of athletes, this isn't going to be TV commercials. This isn't going to be billboards. For the majority of athletes, this is going to take place on a smaller scale. And I think social media in particular is going to be a massive aspect of this. And I think, you know, to your point there, it's not just going to be how good of a player you are. I think social branding is going to be really important. And I think if I was advising a, a, a college athlete or soon to be college athlete right now, build your brand, build, build a following, find ways 
to uh, connect with, with people and, and start to make a name for yourself. You know, just like you already should have been doing. You know, be smart about what you're posting on social media. Don't you know? Don't don't be posting stupid stuff. You know, post stuff that that builds your brand in in a positive way. And I, and I think you know that's going to be a huge part of this. You know, you mentioned cameo. I think that those are the type of things that guys are going to have opportunities to do now that they didn't before. And and. It is. It's going to be, you know, I think of someone like Drew Chrisman on the football team right now. Again, this isn't going to affect him because he's a senior right now. But you think of the brand he's built with his water bottle flipping and some of his funny videos on social media. I think he's a guy who would be near the top in terms of earning potential for Ohio State football players right now, even though he's the punter, just because he's somebody who's built a brand for himself. You know, you could have a water bottle company sponsoring him to, to flip his water bottles. You know, I think you've got to create ways to make a name for yourself. Because if you're a star quarterback or a star, you know, receiver or pass rusher, you're going to have opportunities fall into your lap. But if you are not one of those really big name players on the team, you are going to have to find a way to distinguish yourself so that you become more marketable to companies. Yeah, if we if we think about like who who specifically, what type of Ohio State player would benefit from this? I think that obviously quarterback comes to mind, but but you know when when it's Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields coming through, like yes, they're going to make money, but also we also expect them to eventually make more money in the NFL. I think when you have a guy like a JT Barrett who's at Ohio State for four thousand seventy five years, then. He's kind of he's the kind of guy who can make he can make a good bit of money while he's at Ohio State, and you know maybe he won't have a, a twelve year NFL career where he's making uh, he becomes a multi millionaire, but he can make a good amount of money um, in college, and like those are the kind of guys who I, who I think specifically could benefit. The other kind of guys um, who I'm thinking of are you know J.K. Dobbins was would, would if this was implemented right now. It's not as if someone like J.K. Dobbins or Chase Young or Jeff Okuda would have come back because they thought that they could make more money at Ohio State. But I do wonder if, you know, a Noah Brown type of player, um, someone like that who is a late-round pick who decides to leave Ohio State early, um, even someone like um, a a Kendall Sheffield or or someone like that, um, where, you know, if they stuck around... You never know what they what they might be able to make because the way I see it is, you know, if you build a brand, if you're a starter at Ohio State, you you already have a certain uh, a certain notoriety around Columbus and 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 Ohio State fans generally. Um, if you build a brand that way, all of a sudden you have a full offseason ahead where you can make some sort of money and, and build your brand somewhat um, and, and make some money off of name, image, likeness. Um, I do think that that it's interesting. Um, uh, th- those kind of guys are interesting who are potentially returning starters who might be late round picks. Could it swing their decision? I think that that's possible. And like you mentioned, I think that local Ohio kids, there is an, there is an even greater ability that there, there should even be a greater ability to keep them home because you also now have the added effect of, you know, if you're playing for the hometown team, there's a lot more marketing opportunities uh, to, to be had in Ohio and whichever city they're in generally. And I think that that's something that actually will affect um, uh, uh, schools throughout the country and not just Ohio State. I'm interested to see 
how how schools pitch that. But if there's someone like Paris Johnson who's considering going down south, I mean, he's someone who, when I talked to him in December, he told me about how he wants to be a legend at Ohio State, how he wants to have people remembering him, and he's and 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 I and I vividly remember him telling me, you know, there are quarterbacks down in the SEC who people just fawn over. If you're an out-of-state quarterback, who cares? If you're a skill position guy, you're you're getting 90 receptions. It doesn't matter if you're out-of-state. But if you're an out-of-state offensive lineman, it's not like you're going to go down there and be an absolute star um, when it when it comes to having having notoriety and people know your name. But since Paris Johnson's staying in in Ohio, he's playing for Ohio State. I mean, he's the kind of guy who I think could make a lot of money because. I, the, the way I see his career going, I think he's going to have a great career at Ohio State, and he's just down the road in Cincinnati. I, I, I mean, he's the kind of guy who I think has a lot of marketing opportunities, and that's what you, I think, in recruiting would, would tell kids is, you know, if you come to Ohio State, if you stay um, home, then there's a, there's a lot of money to be made. Well, and you think about someone like Zach Harrison, who I think, mm-hmm. I think there was a big part of him that kind of wanted to get out of the backyard. Uh, in high school and he ultimately decided to stay home and go to Ohio State but you know he could really benefit from that decision a year from now being a a third year junior he could be the star of the defensive line hometown guy you know he's he's a he's a guy that I look at and say okay a year from now here's a guy who who could have the opportunity to really benefit from this before he benefits even more and goes to the NFL but you know that's an example of someone I would look at and say okay you've got the hometown ties he's a guy who appears to be on a trajectory toward being a star player at Ohio State you know that's a, that's a guy who you know could really benefit from that decision to stay home just because I, I do think there's going to be that hometown appeal you know uh, for local businesses of, of guys who grew up in Columbus you know Jack Sawyer coming in is certainly going to be another guy who's going to be in that same boat of just yep. you know being that local guy he's already a, 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 has a name brand in the area because he's a high school football star and now he can parlay that into being an Ohio State football star and his brand value is just going to continue to grow. Yep, he, he, he's another guy who you think about, like he, he can really benefit from this. And, and the interesting thing specifically for the football program is, you know, they, they, they filled up a good amount of their 2021 class. So they're going their their eyes will obviously train toward the 2022 class um, here in, in the coming months a, a, a great deal, and like that's the kind of class where, provided this passes, they're gonna walk onto campus and and they'll immediately be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness, and that's the kind of thing where you know it's time for them to go, you know, all in on on their pitches about about why why they should come to Ohio State to to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Um, and that's why I fully expect Ohio State to to be proactive in this, as they already have been, and and, and I could, I expect them to continue to use this uh, in, in their recruiting pitches. I am going to say it's, this is a self serving point, but it's probably true because you you mentioned Kendall Sheffield earlier, and he was notorious on the Ohio State beat for his only interview as a Buckeye being with me at a track meet, uh, but. <laughs> Being media friendly is is going to help players in this situation too. I think you know if if, if you're a, a a student athlete, I think when when you've got a camera in front of you and you're talking to the media, uh, I think showing some personality. You know, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that maybe this will get guys out of their shells a little more to show a little personality because I, I think 
you know, that's something that can really benefit guys in, in this case as well. That I think, you know, the guys who show some personality, uh, you know, the guys who, you, you know, put something out there, you know, beyond, you know, just being a football player. And, and, and some guys are going to care about that more than others. There, there's going to there's be some guys who come in and say, I just want to focus on playing football. And, and they might not actively seek out these opportunities. There could be some guys who maybe get a little too focused on it. And I, I think that's probably something you're worried about as a coach is there could be some guys who become so focused on branding themselves that maybe it takes away from what they're doing uh, in preparation for football. But I think if you can strike that right balance and you can find a way uh, to, to market yourself uh, as a person while also having success on the football field, that's going to be the recipe for guys to become more marketable for companies and to have an opportunity to cash in. Yeah, I, I do think that the important part is, you know, if guys are themselves and if they're open about being themselves, I think there's absolutely money to be made. I mean, sure, the last thing that I think any of us want are to happen to go to interviews and, and interview um, a normal interview setting uh, in a year or so and walk in there and all of a sudden, you know, there's some guy who's been quiet the whole time just pretending like he's, he's, he's someone else just so he can have a bigger brand. Now, I, I do not think that that is going to be very prevalent, but I do think you make a good point about, you know, if guys are more open, if guys, if guys are more open about themselves and, you know, their path to get here and um, their personality, what they like to do, you know, there are more branding opportunities. I think that's where someone like Drew Christman, who you have mentioned, really stands out because he, you know who Drew Chrisman is. Drew Chrisman does not hide himself. He is who he is. He's got a lot of people liking him because he puts himself out there like that. And I do wonder if there are going to be others um, who who go down that same route. You mentioned you mentioned Drew. It makes me think of his fellow specialist Liam McCullough with his famous camp check-in shirt. Yeah. And, I, and I'm envisioning a couple years from now when we all go to our infamous hotel check-in and all the players wearing shirts that are promoting companies that they're getting, <laughs> they're getting paid for. Uh, it, 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 it's going to be weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds like something I should be joking about, but I'm really not. I think, you know, it, it, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of little opportunities like that for guys. And I think, you know, the, the, the guys who are, are creative and, and seek out those opportunities. And, you know, and to be clear, uh, Ohio State isn't going to be allowed to facilitate opportunities. They can't they can't go to the team and say, OK, we OK, Roosters wants one of you guys to do an ad for him. Who who wants it? These guys are going to have to do that on their own. But I think there's going to be a lot of those opportunities out there. And 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 it sounds like the rules were a little unclear on this. It did sound like guys would be able to consult with agents to help them line up opportunities so long as those agents aren't also helping them seek sports opportunities. Yeah, there. Uh, that's one of those things, too, where there's a little bit of gray area there. There's yep. a few things that are gray area. One, um, uh, whether athletes will be able to promote like alcohol or, or, or tobacco or something like that that goes against the the NCAA's policies. I would pre- be pretty surprised if they're <clears throat> if they're allowed to do that. Um, there's others. Same. There's others um, like it. it they, they seem to be openly considering whether schools should be able um, to to allow players to make money based on uh, shoe companies 
and by that I mean like a Nike Adidas and 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 Reebok and Under Armour and the reasoning was based on past uh, recruiting indiscretions meaning that you know those companies in the past have been involved with uh paying players uh and, and and scandals as as we as we all know in recent years i mean that's that's one of those interesting ones where they they haven't made a decision yet i'm interested to see what they do because that would also lead to the scenario of you know ohio state's a nike school but what if adidas wanted to pay jameson williams something um to to have him walk around or, or do a photo shoot not in an Ohio State uniform or not related to Ohio State. Like those are the kinds of things that that we don't quite know yet. Or what? Or, or what if Pepsi wants one of these guys? I mean, can you imagine mm-hmm. the blasphemy of an Ohio State player uh, being <laughs> sponsored by Pepsi on a Coke campus? Listen, throw him out of the university, Dan. The bad news, and I and I, I know that for some of you, this is the most important news. In all of this. But the NCAA football video game is not coming back as part of these rule changes. It's not impossible that it could come back in the future, but it's definitely not imminent. Val Ackerman, who co-chaired the working group that put together these rule proposals with Gene Smith, she said that group licenses, which is what are needed to, to pay players for a video game like the old NCAA football games are quote-unquote unworkable in the current state of college athletics because there's no collective bargaining body, which some people would say there should be, but the NCAA does not want to go down that road again unless it gets forced into one. So right now, this is not going to lead to an NCAA football video game. And, you know, It is something that they did say that they want to continue to have conversations about. So maybe down the line that's something that could happen. But if you were getting your hopes up that this was going to lead to an NCAA football video game, sorry, that is not the case right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people. I I don't even play video games that often anymore, but I would love to play an NCAA football video game. Those are always the best growing up. But I... I will say, based on their comments, based on everything, I'd be shocked if that happens in the near future, which is unfortunate, but it goes back to the point that the last thing the NCAA is going to do is going to allow the players to unionize and become employees. That's just not going to happen. The NCAA will throw its body in front of it before before they allow that. One other NCAA note from this past week, the Division I Board of, Re- Board of Directors did recommend that changes to the transfer process are not appropriate yet. So there had been a lot of talk in addition to the name, image, and likeness uh, proposals that we could also see a one-time transfer exception, uh, allowing football and basketball players to you know transfer once without penalty, uh, just like most other student-athletes are allowed to. Uh, there was some talk that could go into place as soon as this year. It sounds now... Like, that probably won't happen until 2021. I think it will happen. I think much like this, there's a lot of momentum toward that, and it's going to happen sooner than later. But it sounds like, you know, with everything that's going on right now, of course, a lot of VNCA's time being taken up now by trying to get through a pandemic and trying to prepare for whether or not there's going to be a football season. Uh, They've decided to table that one uh, until next year, figure out how to get it right, and focus now on obviously the return to college sports out of this pandemic, as well as 
uh, the name, image, and likeness process. Yeah, I understand it. My 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 one, I, I think my one take on on that will be just initially from a basketball perspective. You know, when that happens, and I expect it to be a when, not an if. I expect to, at some point in the next year or two for for players to be able to transfer one time without sitting out. I do wonder how that's going to affect Ohio State's strategy because clearly it is like to build its roster with guys who sit out one year and then have either one or two years of eligibility. Uh, with C.J. Walker, then it's going to be Justice Suing, and now in a year it'll be Jimmy Sotos from Bucknell. And I'm interested to see just how exactly that changes things because that's sort of the artificial way to quote-unquote get old and stay old. Um, because when you have guys who are transferring, you also want to be able to, to bring in veterans and make sure that you also have upperclassmen on your team. And that's a way that Chris Holtman has, has been able to, to ensure that over the last few years. I do wonder how that's going to change things uh, going forward for them. But, but like you said, it's not necessarily a conversation we have to have right now. Yeah, we've we've talked about a lot today, so uh, we'll get to your questions here. A couple more questions here in a moment. Uh, you know, hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Chris Holtman, and uh, hopefully uh, interested in this you know conversation about name, image, and likeness as well. We know uh, some of you are are probably more interested in in football than basketball, and not a ton of football talk on this week's show. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll get back to that soon enough. Hope we'll you guys that. Uh, enjoy. Hope you guys have enjoyed what we talked about today. Ohio State. Ohio State did pick up uh, a commitment this past week uh, from C.J. Hicks in the class of 2022. Now up to three commitments in just a couple weeks for that class. So uh, the recruiting momentum stays hot for Ohio State. And and C.J. Hicks, a, a guy who uh, is a really intriguing guy. Uh, you know, he he could be either a linebacker or a defensive back. Seems like he's being projected as an outside linebacker uh, Al Washington told him that you know he compared to Pete Werner and, and Malik Harrison uh, so certainly looking at a guy who could be a versatile player in that defense uh, you know we still don't really know if a bullet's a real thing uh, but you know I think you look at what Pete Werner did last year uh, being a guy that they moved all around the defense I, I think those are they, they want more guys like that. For the future of their defense, and it certainly sounds like CJ Hicks could CJ Hicks could be that kind of guy. Yeah, I feel like every single recruiting cycle, I think, wow, like this is a versatile group of players. They're gonna have guys who can do everything, but like it is the case. Like Ohio State, the way it recruits, especially defensively, I, when I'm thinking about um, the, the the past couple classes, you brought in. In the 2020 class, Ty Hamilton, Darion Henry Young, and Jacoby Cowan, all of whom could potentially play defensive tackle or defensive end. Um, like you said, that C.J. Hicks is the kind of linebacker who can who can play at different positions. In the 2021 class, I look at the defensive backfield and I see lots of guys who can either play corner or safety. Maybe you have a guy like Jalen Johnson who can play safety or linebacker. I think that I think that versatility, specifically on the defense, is something that that Ohio State has you know prioritized recently and you know it makes a lot of sense because the way that the football is heading right now is you you need to have guys to play all, all different places uh on the field yeah i mean court williams another guy yep. in, in this past class who could be a linebacker could be a safety uh cameron martinez a guy who could be on offense or defense yeah. he's he's mr versatility so yeah i think that's absolutely a big priority for them i think you know they, they you know because a lot of it too is you're bringing in 
a lot of talented guys. They're all going to have to compete with each other for playing time. The more guys you have with well-rounded skill sets that can do different things and are maybe you know a little bit different from each other as well, it it leads to more you know potential opportunities for each of these guys to have a role to be able to see the field. I think if you're just if you're just recruiting guys that you know they're this position and this position only then you're gonna eventually lead yourself to backlogs at certain positions but i think when you're recruiting guys uh you know especially on defense because offense you know you've got you know your offensive line is kind of your offensive line your quarterbacks your quarterback you know receivers you can move guys around a little bit but at other positions there's not as much versatility but i think of that defensive side of the ball there's very few guys you're going to recruit and, and say this guy is this and he's only this I think whether it's defensive line positions or linebacker positions or secondary positions there's a lot of guys you can recruit and say okay they could be this but they could also be this yeah I'll, I'll say the one other thing about the CJ hits commitment that I just think is so important and and I, I'll hit on this forever because I really think that this is something Ohio State does incredibly well especially the last couple of years under Ryan Day, they've clearly made it a priority. And that's that you lock down the state of Ohio quickly. And by doing so, you're able to, one, pick out the guys in the state of Ohio who rise later in the process. And two, you're able to, to go nationally and recruit nationally and, and, and understand what you need without having to chase Ohioans later in the process. And I think by getting C.J. Hicks, that's clearly just the latest example of Ohio State executing that strategy because they also have uh, Tegris Chabola, whose name I'm sure I just butchered again. But with those two guys in the class, you have two of the top three guys in Ohio in 2022. And then Gabe Powers is the other guy. He's the he's the, he's the top-ranked Ohioan right now. He's top 50 overall prospect. He's another linebacker uh, prospect who, who's intriguing. And it seems like Ohio State's trending well for him. And I just think that if you get those guys locked down early – just the, the potential for what a class can become, it spans so drastically that, that I think that that is something that Ryan Day and Mark Pantone and the staff deserve a lot of props for because in 2021, they really did the exact same thing. I mean, you get the Jack Sawyer commitment early, you get Reed Carrico and Jaden Ballard in there, Mike Hall as well. I just think that, that there's a lot to like about, about what Ohio State is, is doing in terms of their strategy on the recruiting trail right now. Just a couple more questions to wrap up this week's show. Some, some of you asked questions for you know Chris Holtman that we weren't able to get to. Uh, we tried to pick out what we thought were the most interesting one, but we do thank all of you who submitted questions this week. Kay Bonet asked us about the targeting rule. I'm not going to use the word, but he asked about how the NCAA has approached the targeting rule. Uh, but his question is, you know, the new rule that the NCAA uh, approved a couple weeks ago was that uh, if a player is ejected from a game, he is allowed to to stay on the sideline with the team. He doesn't have to make the quote-unquote walk of shame, as Ryan Day called it, back to the locker room. But no extension of the rule to have a non-ejection targeting added that, in K. Bonet's words, everyone knows should be in there. I know we have talked about this a couple times, so I don't want to. I don't want to go too deep into this because. Um, I think we risk beating it to death, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people agree with K. Bonet here that I think there should be a two-level targeting. I do think that's something that the NCAA should be continuing to explore, and I think uh, they should try to find a way to make that happen because I, I, I do think uh, right now 
there's just too many uh, cases like you know the Sean Wade call in the Fiesta Bowl where you have you know at least from my vantage point what appears to be a completely unintentional hit to the head leading to a guy being ejected from a game so you know I I do think that this is something the NCAA needs to continue to explore I think the reality right now is they weren't ready to take that step and and I think the the, the challenge is and I, I don't think there's an easy answer to this is you don't you don't want I don't think you necessarily want to make this a situation where you're now forcing the refs to make even more judgment calls because I think you know that's one of the big problems of the rule is it it really is all a judgment call and now if you you add even more to it, it it becomes even more judgment calls. So I think, you know, you want it, you need to have a way to clearly delineate what the difference is between that targeting one where it would only be a yardage penalty and a guy could stay in a game and a targeting two where a guy would be ejected. And I, and I think you'd also, you know, you also have to have a system, you know, maybe you have a system where, you know, I mean, I think certainly you could have a system if it was, you know, two targeting ones in a game, you'd be ejected. Maybe you even have a system where, if, if you accumulate targeting one penalties over the course of a season, you get an ejection or you get a game suspension. I, I, I think, you know, those are, those are things that need to be considered as well. I do think they're going to continue to be considered. I just don't think the NCAA w- was there yet. But, you know, I think, I think other people wonder, well, who cares about uh, the guy still being able to stay on the sideline? Well, Ryan Day cares. <laughs> Ryan Day was very vocal about that, but he thought that was something that should be changed. And I think a lot of other coaches did too. And and I think that's a good change because I, I do think, um, you know, forcing, forcing the guy to, you know, walk back and, you know, all by himself and kind of have the example made of him. I, I, I do think that was kind of, kind of ridiculous, especially when, uh, you know, for the most part, most of these targeting penalties are not overly malicious, violent things. A lot of times, they're just uh, something that happens within the flow of a game. Yep, I agree with that. I mean, we've talked about targeting before. I think I've made it known. I, I agree that there should be a, a, a two-level targeting where you know one's a 15-yard penalty, the other's an ejection. But you know, obviously, like you said, the the NCAA isn't there yet. You make a good point about giving the ref um, more latitude to to make it a, make a judgment call. Because it sounds great in the head, but then when it plays out, I mean, who who in the world has ever been like, that's a great call, ref? Like, if you say that once, that means you're owed, wow, that's a terrible call, ref, like, to be said probably 12 times. Yeah, and let's say, let's say in 2021 they put this rule into place. There's absolutely going to be controversy every single week about a targeting one that should have been a targeting two. Yeah, or it's never going to be perfect. But, yeah. but I'll say this. But to me, that would be a clear step forward in the right direction. Um, why it hasn't been done yet, I don't know. The NCAA is doing other. Th- I, I I really couldn't tell you the specific reasons, but but I I personally think it would be beneficial. No, I agree. I think it should be done. Uh, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic that it will be done in 2021 because I do think there's a lot of people that want that. The one thing I know for sure is targeting is not going anywhere, and that was yes. not. K. Bonet's question, but I know there, I know there are surely some people out there who think just get rid of targeting altogether. The one thing I know for sure is it's not going anywhere. 
the other thing I know for sure is there's no perfect answer. There's, there's no way to change the rule that is going to make everybody happy. There, there's no way that I can see that is going to make it so there's not tough judgment calls that have to be made here. But I do think you know, a, a targeting one, targeting two, where only the most egregious, the, the, the fouls that are clearly you know, with intent to hit a guy in a certain way are the ones that are resulting in ejections. I do think that would be a good step forward and something that I do think should happen uh, because I do think you have too many guys getting ejected from games for what are ultimately accidental hits. Silver Sniper asks our final question, which is very off-topic, but but who cares? <laughs> are either of you guys gamers? If so, what's your gaming tree, and what system slash game do you spend the most time on? Well, Colin, I think you said earlier that you, you don't play many games anymore, but you would like to have an NCAA football game. I used to be a big gamer. Uh, you know, Back when I was in you know middle school, I would say, I was honestly too much of a gamer. I was probably addicted to video games at that time, and uh, you know, back then I had the uh, Xbox 360. Uh, that's actually the last new system that I've bought. I don't have that anymore. I do still have uh, a PS2 and an N64 from when I was a kid. So I, I still have those here in my apartment. Uh, have some of my games uh, for both of those. So occasionally, if I have a little free time uh, and I just feel like you know winding down at the end of the night or something, I, I might play. Uh, one of my old games for you know half an hour or an hour or something like that, uh, but very sparingly. Um, I don't. I if asking in terms of the game that I spent the most time, uh, I would say when I was uh, you know a kid growing up, uh, it was probably probably Madden, uh, probably sports games, which probably doesn't surprise you. Um, you know, I, I I used to buy all the different sports games and. I was the type, which again, this is probably doesn't surprise you, but I was the type that I honestly enjoyed uh, the trading and, and building the teams as much as I did actually playing the games Same. themselves. Uh, so, you know, I was a big fan of franchise mode and, uh, you know, building building a team in Madden or, um, you know, I did have some of the NCAA football games back in the day, uh, you know, N- NBA games. Um, so I, I was I was a big fan of those back in the day. Um, Madden was probably the one that I played the most. Reasonable. Yeah, I, I'm not a big gamer anymore. I would say that mine went... So I started with GameCube back in the good old days. I think I played mostly like Madden sports games, stuff like that, NCAA football, uh, NBA. And then I went PSP. I don't remember why, but I do remember having a PSP. I don't even know what I played, but I know I enjoyed it. And then around that time, I think it was my brother who got a Wii, which, like, it's so fun the first time you get it back in the day, and then, like, we just didn't play it at all. And then <laughs> and then I got an Xbox 360, and that's where it's like, all right, now we're, now we're getting into it. And that's where I was in high school, and it's like I played a good amount of sports games, also got into – Modern Warfare 2, played a few years at Call of Duty there. That was always fun. Big search and destroy guy to all you people out there. And then and then I got an Xbox One. And I think right around the time that I got the Xbox One is when I really sort of stopped playing as many games because I realized, you know, I probably shouldn't spend I probably shouldn't have a have a dynasty mode on NCAA go for fifty years and reach the maximum. But yeah, that's what I did back in high school and it was amazing. Won a national title with Syracuse, I remember. That was big. <laughs> Um, 
And then right now, I, I still have the Xbox One, but I, I'm li- I'm in Cleveland right now, not Columbus, waiting this whole pandemic out. And I don't play it, so so I don't play it right now. I'd love to play some some Warzone. I know that's what the uh, that's what the kids are into right now. But I'll say this, Dan. <laughs> I'm pretty nasty on Call of Duty Mobile. I'm just going to throw that one out there. I feel like probably no one has played that game. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at that one. Yeah, I've never played that. I played one or two of the old Call of Duties back when I had Xbox 360. I think I don't remember which ones they were at this point. Um, I don't have them anymore. Um, but I, I did. I did. I There was a brief stretch where I got into some of the, the shooter games like uh, Gears of War and, and Halo and, and games like that, um, but I, I would and, I, and also I, I did I would say uh, another game that I really enjoyed um, you know back in the Xbox 360 days was I, I had uh, both uh, Guitar Hero and Rock Band those were both oh awesome. yeah oh yeah those are fun but I'll say this once you got up to like playing four notes with with uh, with your left hand I was out I could not do that <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it gets pretty hard I I remember. Uh, my friends used to enjoy my singing on rock band. I was usually the uh, Dan. I, I think you have someone on this podcast who would enjoy your singing on rock band. Just saying. We'll save that for another. We'll save that for another day. But, That's uh, when content maybe, gets really sparse. Back in, yeah, when in we June get to the point that I am singing on Real Pod Wednesdays, uh, that will mean we have run out of things to talk about. But hey, if enough of you, if enough of you request it, oh my god! Uh, if you're actually going to throw this out there, then I hope everybody would request it. I mean, if everybody, re- if, every, if everybody requests it, then uh, maybe, maybe we'll make it happen. And that's and that seems like a good note to to leave off our show for today. Yes, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, I don't think it. I don't, I don't think you can tease anything, anything, anything bigger than Dan Hope dropping a rock band song on us on a podcast. I mean, that's that's really high class stuff. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. It's Real Pod Wednesdays, and any anything can happen, uh, especially now that it's May and it's the off season, and we're all uh, hoping that we're going to have football again in a few months, but. Uh, it's still going to be a little while, so uh, we're pretty much open to anything right now. So uh, anything you guys want to hear us talk about or sing about or whatever, uh, <laughs> let us know. But uh, once again, want to thank Chris Holtman for joining us on, on this week's show. Uh, really hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I certainly did. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the rest of the show. And uh, hope you guys keep tuning in. You know, We really appreciate all of you listening in. Hope you're all uh, doing well and, and getting through this pandemic okay. And we'll talk to you again soon.